Why watch that as a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. Listeners, hey, guess what? What? Why watch that? Why watch that? We have a giveaway, another one coming to you. Oh, oh, oh. You get a DVD. You get a DVD, and you get a DVD. <laughs> and this time, it is what men want. Mm. So not the Mel Gibson one. This is starring Taraji P. Henson, Aldous Hodge, and a whole bunch of other people. Erica Badu is in there. Tracy Morgan is on the cover. Yes. <laughs> now the details, Ref. Can you tell us when? How did people find this giveaway? How do they enter? What's the deal? Okay, you can go to whywatchthat.com/giveaways. You can go into the giveaway tab, and there you will find a chance to enter. In um, and it starts again May 6th as a taping, but this thing ends May 29th, so you don't have that much time. There will be three winners, and all you got to do is click, click, click. And follow the instructions, and you too could own what then what. <laughs> Ooh, and this is a Blu-ray combo pack. Yes, you'll get all kinds of deleted scenes and lots of merriment. So go <laughs> ahead <laughs> and enter whywatchthat.com as the ref said giveaways, and we'll see who wins. The Why Watch That TV Talk. You know what we're here to do, listeners. You know why we're here to do it. We're here to talk about enough TV so we can get to Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I heard that people are puzzled. You know what? I heard the same, and I literally heard it. (laughs) They need to listen to someone. Well, trying to tell them. You you will have your chance, dear sir. <laughs> but first, before we get that all riled up, before your ravens start uh, uh, flying over here with messages, let's start with a series premiere. That's right. We have a new show out um, that has been getting a lot of buzz. A lot of buzz. It's called State of the Union. And this is... This has some absolutely uh, familiar characters, Costa and others. It's about marriage. It's about union. It's also on Sundance. (laughs) Good luck if you don't have it. Sneak around, look around, maybe even um, type, you know, get the app and see if your provide, see if it works for your providers. But you got a chance to see what Sundance's new show is all about, and you can definitely tell us. Yeah, so we have married couple Tom and Louise, played by Chris O'Dowd and Rosamund Pike. Mm-mm. And they're having a sit-down in a pub away from their two kiddos, but you can tell that they're obviously waiting for something. And as they do so, she keeps trying to initiate a particular conversation that he keeps avoiding. But why, right? Well, then we get to it. They need to discuss the state of their union. Yeah, but for him, 
Their marriage of late can be summarized like this. She slept with another man, period. Yikes, yowza. But for her, there's more to it, of course. For example, she suggests that he lost interest in her before she even had the affair. Mm -hmm. Well. (laughs) Heard that before. Have you? Not me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, wow, we're confessions. Oh, if I hear that, I know where the door is. (laughs) (laughs) And from there, they hash out exactly what happened to their relationship in ways that you can imagine, but some of the traditional roles are reversed. Mm -hmm. However, she's the one who wants to work on their marriage with a therapist, while he just doesn't understand the utility of that. And then we find out that the pub they're meeting in is just across the street from said marriage therapist's office. Mm. So will they ever actually go into that office? And if so, what will they find on the other side of that door? In addition, week after week, over 10 weeks, what will they have to say about the experience along with a whole host of other things and people afterward? Mm. That's the premise. And here's my review. First of all, Everyone involved in State of the Union is top-notch. Everybody. Mm. Its creator and writer is Nick Hornby, who wrote the little-known novel about a boy. Yes. And who wrote the screenplay for an education, among other things. Its director is Stephen Frears, who's responsible for the film adaptation of High Fidelity, which is another of Hornby's novels, and for many other films, including, get ready, The Queen. Oh, that is definitely one to catch. Philomena. Oh, my. I love Philomena. And Florence Foster Jenkins. (laughs) 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 And again, it stars Chris O'Dowd, who also stars in Epics' wonderful TV adaptation of Get Shorty. Rosamund Pike, who came to prominence as Jane in Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice, which starred... A thousand times, yes! (laughs) And who then, some years later, starred in Gone Girl, along with a host of other things. So we're in good hands here, very good hands. But since State of the Union is simply a series of conversations, how much you like it will likely depend on how much you like Tom and Louise and how much their verbal back and forth interests you. It's the kind of show that fans of plays could get into. And what I like most about it is how unfussy it is. However, I can't say that I was compelled to watch it. And I'm not quite sure that everyone would consider it a comedy per se. Even still, they do a good job. So if this is your kind of thing, check it out. In addition, I think that offering 10 separate 10-minute episodes Yes was a smart thing for them and for Sundance TV to do because each episode is a quick espresso shot of marital ambiguity and nuance that will probably work best outside of the context of a full-on binge. Mm. You know what it reminds me of? What you're talking about? It reminds me of The Song of Lunch, which was uh, a, a movie about um, Alan Arkin and, or sorry, Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson mm. sitting in a pub talking. Um, the whole time. And anyway, I, that just for some reason reminded me of that. Moving on to. Look at you dropping knowledge. I know. I was just because it reminded me of that because it's like very poetic and, um, you know, just two people talking, really. And they're in love, they're not, and things happen. And woosah. 
Uh, series return. We've got Easy. It's back for season three on Netflix. However, it is its final series or season. Yeah. So, um, and I and that was announced not too too long ago that Netflix was going to move on from that show, but not before they release season three. You got a chance to see that. Yeah, and just know everybody, Netflix likes to get rid of shows in season three if it gets there. <laughs> so in this third and sadly final season, as the ref said, of Easy, we're back in Chicago. And the focus is once again on a cross-section of its fictional denizens that we've already come to know and maybe love. And as always, from episode to episode, different characters and most of all relationships are explored. But here's the question. Can any of these relationships truly be easy? I mean, can these people just chill and be happy? Well, I think you already know the answer to that question, but that doesn't mean that easy wallows in drama. Instead, it's occasionally funny and awkward and improvisational and even sad in an unforced way at times. In fact, uh, tonally, it fits rather well with its title. And in doing so, it tackles all kinds of everyday and definitely not so everyday problems such as the thrills and perils of having an open marriage. Mm. Why? A hilarious look at a would-be private investigator who's gung-ho at first about going undercover, get this, at a party hosted and attended by people whose behavior might please the Marquis de Sade. Mm. Oi, oi. Attempting to back out of a relationship when it gets too serious. Yeah. Hitting the dating scene again in probably my favorite episode by saying yes to anyone who asks you out within a 30-day period. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Handling the pains of being a somewhat famous middle-aged guy who has a past, mm. starting a business with a friend, dealing with the fallout of starting a business with family, and having to choose between chasing your dreams and falling in love. Oh, boy. And to bring his characters to life, creator, writer, and director Joe Swanberg, once again, relies on his well-chosen cast, which includes, get ready, Zazie Beetz. Oh. Michael Chernus, who you may not know by name, but you know him by sight. Kiersey Clemens, Dave Franco, Mark Marin, Elizabeth oh. Reeser, Jack Johnson, and Gugu Mbatha-Raw, among others. My, my. So if you like TV shows that come in a short story form and are about what it means to be an adult in adult relationships, then Easy should work for you. It's a very good show, and you can skip any episode that doesn't interest you. Plus, while you're at it, if you haven't already done so, check out HBO's excellent New York set, High Maintenance, as well, because these two shows form a perfect fit, and they'll give you a look at contemporary relationships with a welcome flavor of the cities that inspired them. Wow, wow, wow. Sneaky Pete is back for its third season on... Amazon. Mm. Now this guy, I don't know what, he must be like the best con artist ever. He busts <laughs> out of jail as somebody else, posing as somebody's son, and then a whole world of issues come his way. Where are we with season three? Is he still as sneaky as he wants to be? <laughs> <laughs> well, after coming this close to being ousted as a fraud, or outed as a fraud, by the woman whom he's been claiming as his mother, Marius, who's pretending to be the titular Pete, which is why he's sneaky. Yep. And who's played by Giovanni Ribisi. 
Giovanni Verbisi yeah. entered into a hustle with said woman instead. And at the end of season two, he executed that hustle with his fake mom, which promised to supply him with a big payout. But you know that didn't happen, right? No. So what does Marius do in response? Well, he decides to go back to being Pete in the bosom of Pete's hard-nosed, reluctantly criminal, uh, yet loving family of bail bonds, people, and others. <laughs> but at the start of this new season, when he arrives back on the scene, one of his three pretend cousins, whose name is Julia, played by Marin Ireland, is on to him. Because Pete's parole officer, who's played by, get this, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Yeah. Oh, I kind of like that. It's good. He told her Marius's real name, not Pete Marius. So she threatens to tell the whole family the truth about Pete, but she has her own misdeeds to contend with. So do you think she cashes in on her threat? (laughs) However, she does manage to keep Marius away from her family, or so she thinks, because it just might be that con artist Marius has actual feelings for this family. So the question is this, will they feel the same way if and when they learn the truth about him? Mm. But that's not all, because the return and subsequent disappearance of Pete's mother, Maggie, has sent shockwaves through the family. And while Pete's grandpa, played by Peter Garrity, wants his whole family back together again, his wife, played by the great Marco Martindale, and others in the family don't agree. So this family's in shambles, plus trouble from the law and otherwise is always just around the corner for this family. So it's not just a concern for Pete slash Marius. Mm. And in the end, the question is this, will this family and Marius be able to resolve their differences and help each other out of various sticky situations or will they continue to lie and go it alone, thereby compounding their problems? Because old, new, and returning threats in the form of both old and new characters hang in the balance. And here's the thing. Sneaky Pete is the kind of show you watch and go, you know, this is a good show. Yeah. But it's not as good as it could be. Mm. Because you can just feel that it's not quite living up to its potential. Now, can it be entertaining? Absolutely. Does it have an interesting premise? Yeah. Does it have a capable cast? No doubt about it. Come on. Mm. Plus, Brian Cranston co-created it. Ah, uh, yeah. But that's part of the reason why it doesn't quite reach its potential, because you'd expect the show with all of those elements to be great, not just good. Mm. And I think that what holds it back from greatness is that it lets up on the threats and tensions in its storyline a little too much to do tangential character building. Because it's best when it keeps its characters on it on their toes. It's best when Pete slash Marys especially has to improvise his way out of occasionally terrible, yet always seemingly hopeless and humorous situations. Even still, with all of that said, if you're interested in Sneaky Pete and you haven't started it yet, go ahead and give it a whirl. What you can do is watch it until it loses your interest, which might happen sometime during its first season or possibly not at all. We well, let us tip our hat to a show that has earned someone more Emmys than you could ever imagine. I think for every season she was on, she got an Emmy. I'm not kidding. Uh, we're talking about Veep. It is uh, she is hanging her uh, 
a presidential pin. <laughs> Will uh, HBO is closing out seven seasons of Veep. We know that there's been all kinds of wonderful, hilarious moments, health complications, and definitely uh, memorable ways that are expressing themselves literally right now in our current administration. Yes. <laughs> so where are we with Veep as you tip your hat mm. to its final, final season? Well, it has come to this, everyone. Yes, it has come to this at the end of the highly successful run of Veep. We were confronted with a brokered convention. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we were. Mm-hmm. And as a result, all oh, you know what broke loose as the you know what hit every fan in the country. Oy. I mean, there were heart attacks <laughs> and firings and betrayal and shifting allegiances along with a look into the future, the tiniest blip of heartbreak and vile language, of course, in the service of oh, everything that's sacred in this world. And in the end, guess what? Well, you know, I can't tell you how it all ends. Aww. But let's just say that they might need to change that title. I didn't say how, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'll do this instead. I'll take you on a little trip down memory lane. Before we arrived at Veep's very fitting yet somewhat spotty finale, here were some of the things that it took head on. Abortion. Yeah. Oh boy. Incest. Oh my goodness. Election meddling, but in this case, it's via China. (laughs) Oh, no collusion. Uh How a completely unaware clown of a person can rise up through the political ranks out of nowhere without even knowing how or why. And I'm oh. not talking about Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character. Oh. <laughs> Somebody else. <laughs> the exploitation of identity politics. Supposed assassinations, but what does that mean? Of what sort? Embezzlement, the ineptitude of the press, the anti-vaccination movement, and what happens when political chickens come home to roost? Mm. Oh, and by the way, All of that was just from this final season. (laughs) But the thing is that since nothing was sacred on Veep, they were able to make some of the most serious and seemingly taboo topics funny. Plus, what's most interesting and laudable is that this show had one of its very best seasons this season. Oh. Which is when you would have thought that its premise would have been much too close to reality. However, that proximity to actual politics just made it even funnier. (laughs) And so in its final season, Veep got as close to greatness as it's been in quite some time after a couple of seasons of being merely very good. Yeah, very good was as bad as it got. And the reason for that is the writing and the acting. Mm. Creator Armando Iannucci just knows how to do political satire. He's the world's foremost expert. And when it comes to the cast, we were entertained by the likes of Anna Klumski, who took a torch to what she did as a kid in the movie My Girl. Goodbye to that. Tony Hale, who expertly brought the most ridiculous version of a body man to life. Reed Scott, who brought a vile charm to a character who put the opportunist in opportunist. (laughs) Timothy Simons, whose petulance made him a great whipping boy. Matt Walsh, who brought a sincerity to incompetence and cluelessness. Kevin Dunn and Gary Cole, 
who always seemed like the adults in the room, which was scary. (laughs) (laughs) Sam Richardson, who proved that you can know a lot and yet know nothing. And Sarah Sutherland and Clea Duvall, who formed one of the most unlikely of couples that went way beyond opposites attract. And all of them did a great job of supporting Julia Louis-Dreyfus's stellar performance in the titular role. I mean, if you're ever in doubt about what great comedic timing is, watch how she and her supporting cast play off each other. Mm. They're the very definition of rhythm, even in this show's less successful moments. And so, V thankfully has gone out on a high note as one, not the, but one of the very best TV comedies of all time. Bravo. Oh, well, that all drives us to this. Oh, boy. <laughs> Listen, people are going to have serious withdrawals because next week <laughs> is the last time they're going to hear that live. Um, however, yes, we are talking about Game of Thrones. Yes, we're sticking with HBO. Yes, this is the promotion episode that we're going to discuss. We've been checking in with the critic every single week to see what in the world is going on here, who's died, and who's living, who thinks they're living, who's got crushed by rubble. <laughs> <laughs> And who has their eyes on the throne? Now, I will say this. Next Mm -hmm. week, we're going to get the critic to tell us what he really thinks. Uh, uh, As if he hasn't. As we, you know, focus on the end of all of this. But this week, after a week of talking, after a great battle... I hear some folks have bit the dust. Some were killed by it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Now, I will not spoil everything. You can spoil a lot, though. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it, but I I am going to hold back. But if you've watched it, you know what I mean. And guess what? Hear that? Uh, Oh. Oats. (laughs) So we start with Varys. Mm -hmm. He's sitting at his desk trying to write a little letter. He wants John to be the king because that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Um, but John doesn't want to be the king. Mm. All right. Daenerys is in her woe is me moment. Um, she finds out about Varys and then Dracarys happens. Bye, Varys. All right. Bye to you. We got Tyrion, who's used to be smart. Uh oh, uh oh. Used to be. Uh, he wants to save the innocents in King's Landing from Daenerys's scorn. But why should I care? Why should I care? Mm. I don't know the people of King's Landing. I mean, you should have given us someone in there to root for long ago, okay? And no, looking at a bunch of nameless people and children isn't enough, not at this point, sorry. Mm. Don't try it, fail. (laughs) You know what, my brother was like, when we were watching, he was like, why didn't they, why didn't they have some sort of resistance movement in King's Landing that, you know, John and Daenerys would try to connect to. And then it's like, well, they know what they sound, signed up for. You can sacrifice them. Like, this, he's not a TV writer. Anyway. <laughs> we have Arya and the Hound. Look, can we just, fi- well, we can't do it anymore. But could we have just <laughs> <laughs> followed them the whole episode? I don't, I mean, all right. 
So they're actually trying to do something in this episode, which is kill Cersei. They could take out Negan while they're at it. <laughs> oh my gosh, just crossing all over shows. <laughs> Why not? And then, just when it looked like Daenerys finally learned how to strategize via the use of a dragon, she goes completely bonkers. Completely bonkers. It was the madness of Queen Daenerys people. Yeah, it was. Jeez. I'll come back to that. But before I do, it led to this. And here are little words, titles I'm giving to these moments. The bewilderment of John. <laughs> He's on the ground going, what in the world is going on? Wake up. Your aunt slash lover is nuts. Uh, the knowing horror of Tyrion. He's just standing out there looking. Mm -hmm. The battle for Cersei between Euron and Jamie. Okay. The crumbling haughtiness and subsequent the pathetic whining of Cersei. Hmm. Whom we say, adieu. Yeah. The long-awaited showdown between the Hound and the Mountain, which was fitting. I'll say that. It was fitting. And Arya's har harrowing journey through King's Landing under the threat of Daenerys' stupid rage, which, while looking quite good, I mean, in a saving Private Ryan sort of way, it did look pretty good. It actually, in my opinion, lessened Arya's status after the last... Oh, the episode three? <laughs> because... While some of this would have had a much greater impact earlier in Game of Thrones' run, at this point, nothing can top the Night King. Uh-oh. Nothing. Nothing. They can't come up with it. It's not in the story. And so I call this episode the episode of disappointments. Oh, my goodness. And now... <laughs> And now at this point, Ref, we'll just have to see who's going to stop Daenerys, whom I tried to tell y'all about. I tried to tell y'all about her. Okay? Will it be Jon? Will it be Arya? Will it be someone else? Or will it be no one? At this point, you know what I have to say. I don't care. You peaked too soon. Isn't this what I said? Isn't this what I said? Then what are they going to come up with in the last episode? They all of a sudden going to create new characters? Come on, people. Maybe they'll come that, back to life. Maybe they will. What, are they going to do Lady Stoneheart finally after all these seasons? Please. Whatever, if they tried it, it would just cheapen it even more. Ooh. But I'll end with this. If anyone knows where Bran is, give me a call. He's going to miss it. Bran is the one. <laughs> maybe he is. I mean, he was completely missing in this episode. They keep teasing. I mean, he's the three-eyed raven. He goes into rape. What is he thinking? Can I get in his head? Y'all are all about dialogue, right? <laughs> but I don't know a thing about what he's thinking. He's, I'm lost in memories. And the writing is supposed to be so good. Y'all give this show all these Emmys and nominations. Are you serious? And all y'all sitting around going, what happened in the last episode? Look, I've been trying to tell you. Uh oh, uh oh. We... Y'all didn't make it the greatest show ever. I wouldn't have this reaction. But I'm going to stop now. Yes, because we've released the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> because I will wait for the end and maybe my opinion will change in the last hour and a half. Who knows? <laughs> we'll find out. And I have a lot more to say. I still, I promised everyone that I would tell you why I don't care. I purposely held that back, but you will get it after the final episode. Well, with that being said, 
clean out your ears because you just got an earful. <laughs> you can check out any of these shows. And of course, our coverage of them will continue if they haven't ended already. Uh, yeah, so until next week, until we find out who will dethrone the Game of Thrones, you keep it locked here I I watch that. Oui, ho, ho, bonjour tout le monde. Oh, bonjour. Listen, this year is our first year covering the Cannes Film Festival. What? Yes, as you say, it is the premier festival of all festivals. And guess who's going to physically be there? Not us. <laughs> But we are accredited members. But that's not all we'll be doing. We'll also be giving you some highlights. Mm -hmm. mm. This May 14th through the 25th of the action and the flair and the dresses and the movies and the film stars, all from the comfort of our own home <laughs> as people enjoy themselves in the south of France. Now I hear you're pretty excited about this year's festival, Critic. I am. I mean, some wonderful things that stand out. First of all, Quentin Tarantino is going to drop his next movie on us, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, starring DiCaprio and Pitt, Ooh. Mm. along with Margot Robbie and Dakota Fanning and other people. Yeah, it's 1969 in LA, everybody think about that. Now we also, uh -huh. yeah, we also have a return of Jim Jarmusch, who, whose last film, Patterson, we really enjoyed, Ref. This time mm. though, he's doing some sort of horror movie. <laughs> and it's starring, <laughs> and it's starring Adam Driver again and Bill Murray. Oh, what a pair. We also have Terrence Malick's latest film coming. Pedro Amadovar's latest movie is coming. Rocket Man, yes, that's about you know who. Elton. <laughs> Elton John, that's right. That'll be there. Uh, Ken Loach's latest film. We loved his I, Daniel Blake at the New York Film Festival. Uh, the first time we went, he's back along with many others. So that's just a few of the highlights. What a festival. What a festival it will be. We will be there, huh, kinda, to cover it for you. You stay locked here at Why Watch That, and we will enjoy our baguettes. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea, and we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.